And, you know, the drill you've seen, you've seen givers just become bigger givers and you see takers become bigger takers. And so oh, you can't get it right all the time. And I actually have some stuff that I that I hand out to folks showing where I, you know, we thought we did the right, we thought we had the right people, but uh, their stripes changed when the when the deal was, was in progress. And, you know, once that happens, you have to just navigate and work through and keep your ethics but work for your investors or work for yourself, whatever it is to, to try to get, you know, get that deal over the goal line. Or in our case, we sold some stuff just to uh, kind of remove ourselves from from those people. But the flip side is you find good people and oh, it's just a joy. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation. Welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Burns again today. And today you are going to learn about how to navigate this next market cycle. You're also going to learn about the mindset required to navigating market cycles, why fear is a major component to what's happening right now, how you can leverage your own fear and how you can better understand the market level fear and how that can create opportunities for you. You're also going to learn about timeless principles, key principles that can create and give you the opportunity to create a $500 million real estate portfolio like Tom has. And you're also going to learn about a reassessment of a pipeline today, how that may apply to your own pipeline, how that may apply to the own adjustments that you're making in today's environment as we proceed forward. And you're also going to learn about some really, really interesting lessons and an amazing story about about how Tom stumbled back into tennis after 30 year hiatus and why that's important and why that's applicable to being a higher performing real estate investor and living a life without limits. Today is a day filled with abundance. And man, are you ready to take it to another level? Today is the day. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts at help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. And I want to dive into this episode. I want to ask you to pay the fee. All you have to do is pay it forward. Share this episode with a friend and tell them what you love about this podcast. Just send it in a text message, send it in an email, whatever, social media post, tell them about it. That's all we do is we ask you to pay it forward. If you've done that in the past, thank you so much. We ask you to do that again. If it's your first time listening, welcome to Elevate. We are here to pour massive value into your cup. And so we're just so thankful. I respect all of you. And uh, hopefully you see the respect that comes out in the level of preparation in the way that we provide value, the way that we design these discussions to create massive value. You'll find that a lot of this is about being nimble. It's about being flexible and saying, well, here's my plan. Here's my preparation. But the conversation went in this direction. So let's follow that. Let's follow that curiosity. So hopefully you see that I'm showing you major respect in all of these conversations because I do truly respect appreciate, admire, and love all of you. So I'm so thankful that you're here. And I also want to invite you to give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever you listen or watch podcasts. By the way, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, anything, you name it, we're there. Let's buckle up. Let's dive in. I want to introduce you again to Tom Burns. By the way, he was here one time 
And this is now his second appearance on Elevate Podcast. If you would love to hear his first conversation, if you haven't listened to that already, just go check out Elevate Podcast episode 219, Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, Understanding HUD Loans for Multifamily Acquisitions and Development, and Traits of the Wealthy-Minded. That was a phenomenal conversation. Today's is no different. I want to invite you to check that out, but I also want to introduce you to Tom Burns, who is an entrepreneur, retired orthopedic surgeon, and a physician for the United States Ski Team. He has over 25 years of real estate experience and has acquired or developed over $500 million of real estate locally and internationally. He is the co-founder and principal of Presario Ventures, a private real estate company focused on apartment development and private equity in the Texas, in Texas and the Sunbelt. Dr. Burns is the author of Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, a best-selling personal finance book for those who want to live life to the fullest. He is a sought-after speaker and mentor and has been financially independent for over a decade. His mission is to help people create financial independence so that they can control their future and pursue their passion. Without further ado, please enjoy this fantastic conversation with the great, the wise, the humble Tom Burns. Tom Burns, welcome back to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Tyler, I'm awesome. Always great to talk to you. We've had such a good time just the, the five minutes before this. I know. And we both just got done with our workouts. So uh, yeah. we've we've got more energy. I actually learned that recently. It's like if you leave a workout and you're like completely depleted, that you may be defeating the purpose. You should be leaving a workout with more energy. And I feel like you're bringing that today. What do you think? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I was pretty wiped out after the workout today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I, I, it was conditioning day. Okay. All right. There you go. Well, thank you for for showing up and and uh, being willing to spend more time with us. I really enjoyed our first conversation, and and it really you just blew me away with your humility, your really abundance mentality of sharing your wisdom that you've been able to accumulate over the years, and that you've been able to to take from others. You've been able to apply. You've been able to fail. You've been able to grow and learn, and really create some amazing accomplishments in your life, not only in the real estate business, as a physician, as a father, as a husband, as a friend to many. So I just want to thank you again for being on the show. But man, as we dive into this, we are living in different times. We're living in crazy times. We're living in times of you know rapid change. One of the things that I think we're seeing right now is that we're moving into the next part of the market cycle. Um, we are navigating perhaps a recession. Maybe we're in the beginning stages of a recession. So I'd love to hear from you. What are you seeing this time around versus 14 years ago, maybe in 2009, 12, 13 years ago, 2009. What are you seeing differently now versus then? You know, history does rhyme, right? Mark Twain said it rhymes. And, you know, these things, they have similar characteristics, but there's always differences. That was such a long run from 2010 to now that, you know, I think as always, there's a lot of people that are expecting, ah, you know, it's always been like this. It, it can't go that bad. What is that Wall Street term? The bulls go up by the stairs and the bears go out the windows. So things can change pretty quickly. What I'm seeing now is kind of interesting is that there's fear out there. Things are changing. Supply chains, cap rates are rising. Cap rates are finally slightly rising, but, you know, they're lagging interest rates. So there was at first a bit of a disconnect between, um, you know, the rise in interest rates and the um, cap rates that kind of stayed compressed. We're seeing that loosen up a little bit in some areas. And in some areas, we're seeing a bit of fear. And that fear is not commensurate with the fundamentals. So that's where we're finding deals. There is fear out there from some sellers and fear that doesn't necessarily match the fundamentals of the property. So there are still deals out there. So as in all of them, it's you want to not stick your neck out too far. I learned lessons on every single one of these recessions, and I'm waiting to find out which lesson I don't know I'm going to learn on this one. 
but the the risk tolerance goes down a little bit, but there's still deals. There are deals out there. You just have to look. So obviously cap rates rising is something that's maybe a welcomed development from both your side of the fence, my side of the fence for our companies and, you know, looking for more acquisitions, looking for, for growth at the same time. The, the way that we're financing these deals has changed, you know, pretty rapidly here over the last few months. You know, the requirement of equity and sort of the loan to value metrics that we're looking at today are v- much different than they were a few months ago for value add deals. I know a lot of the stuff that you're doing is new development, class A stuff. Obviously, in your markets as well, when you think of Arizona, you think of Texas, and the way that those markets have really run up over the past 13 years or so has been different than some other markets. I'd be curious, what type of correction in terms of pricing have you seen over the past few months? I mean, in our markets, we've seen maybe somewhere between 5 and 10% on some of the multifamily acquisitions that we've looked at over the past couple months in particular with regard to the changing debt metrics. Obviously, interest rates have risen significantly. There's an anticipation that those interest rates will continue to rise. Obviously, uh, CPI came out yesterday as we record this here in the middle of September, inflation continues to be elevated. As we're looking across the landscape, we would imagine the Fed is going to continue its hiking. And, you know, at some point, perhaps they'll change course. But who knows? I mean, I think where we stand right now, we would anticipate interest rates continue to rise. Perhaps cap rates continue to rise. But I'd love to know, I mean, in your markets, when you're looking at some of these markets in Texas and Arizona and so forth, what type of pricing correction have you seen in particular? So we've got two arms. We do have the development arm. We now have a, a value add arm uh, in the company. And uh, on the development side, not much of any correction, uh, which is, as you and I talked before, that's why we've kind of trimmed up our pipeline a little bit because ours is, you know, maybe a, a little bit on land sales. There's a little bit of wiggle room on negotiation, but the rest is, you know, lumber, concrete, and gypsum. So that stuff's that stuff's priced at whatever it's priced. So there's not been much of a much of a discount, much of a correction there, to be honest with you. That's yeah. been going up though, right? I mean, still construction costs are still going up. It, blows my mind what it costs to, to build a unit, so to speak. You know, you can look at it as square foot or however you want to look at it, but per unit, you know, I, I remember not long ago, we were building for 100, 105,000 a unit. Now we're building for, you know, quarter million a unit, stuff like that. So it's crazy. Yeah. And you wonder where the cap is, right? There's always got to be a delta there. There's always got to be a yield to cost that's going to cause that gap to give you your profit. So we're very careful with development because you've got to look into that crystal ball and project forward. But I will tell you on the value add side, that's where I was mentioning the the little bit of a disconnect on some sellers and the, the fear. And, you know, will we be able to sell our price? You know, they're trying to take their money off the table, wondering if they'll sell it. So we find there's, there's room for negotiation. There's... Um, uh, you know, certainly after due diligence, and it's been it's been yeah up up to five and ten percent as you mentioned. So it's there. It's not with everybody, and it's not like these are screaming high cap rates we're buying these things at. But there's wiggle room out there. You know, that's looking at you know that's underwriting two hundred properties a month to find one every quarter. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about that fear component because I think that that's how you let off this discussion. I think it's so wise because ultimately it does come down to a market mentality or market mood. In terms of why things happen. You mentioned fear from the seller's perspective. The reason why they're willing to take price reductions versus what they did a few months ago is, well, they, they're, maybe they're anticipating something. Could you talk a little bit more about that fear component? Yeah. You know, I mean, geez, we, we buy on emotion and back it up with numbers, right? That's how we buy everything. And so, you know, maybe some of these uh, owners are, are looking at, you know, refinances coming up soon. They're worried about the interest rate bump. That's where you get your deals. You know, I mean, that's where you get, when, when you, when you mismatch emotion with fund 
fundamentals. So fear is a big deal. We all have it. I can tell you every deal I've ever bought, as soon as I sign the contract, blood pressure goes up. There's always that every time. And that's after 30 years. So, you know, on the buyer side, on your side as an investor, you just have to learn to live with it, conquer it, back it up with your fundamentals, with the data that you've used, try to use your system. Uh, you know, they always say, don't fall in love with your building. There's no emotion in investment real estate. It's not supposed to be any emotion, but it's there, right? We've all got it. No so, question. On the fear side, we have to try to tamp that down. Uh, when we're buying from somebody else, we can take advantage of it. Not everybody's going to be able to manage that fear. And that's where your delta is going to come. And that's where you maybe find some deals in any market, rising or falling market. I think there's always options. I think about fear and I always think about what Tony Robbins talked about fear. If you've ever been to a Unleash the Power Within conference or seminar, he does this, this little dance on stage with someone else. He brings someone from the audience and brings them on stage. And, you know, he's basically dancing with them like he's a he's a gorilla. He's a wrestler and he's like pulling them around. And uh, if you try to let go, you're going to fall down. If you try to get rid of that fear, he's embodying fear. He's like, if you try to let go of his hand, you're going to fall on the ground. But if you dance with him, then wait a minute, something can happen and maybe you can leverage that energy into a movement, into forward progress. And I think that that's an interesting component because when I think of fear, I mean, I think of, all right, well, if I'm going to speak at a conference, you and I are both speaking at different conferences next week. You're going to California. I'm going to be in your home city in, in Austin and I'm going to be speaking at a panel. And I think about it and it's like, well, I always have a little bit of fear because it's like, well, I don't want to go up there and sound like a bozo. I want to go up there and add value. And that fear pushes me into action and into preparation and to think about, well, who am I speaking to and how am I going to add value to that audience? That's just one component of it. The other factor is when you think about fear, you were talking about when I sign a contract over 30 years, you're like, anytime I sign a contract and an agreement to purchase a piece of property, the blood pressure rises. And maybe that's giving you the opportunity to focus and to perform a comprehensive set of due diligence to make sure that you're doing the right thing, make sure that you are being a steward of capital, of investor capital. But does that resonate with you? And what else would you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, what's courage is just fear overcome, right? So that fear, that's your protective mechanism. So uh, you go back, you know, you look at your due diligence. You know, I'm certainly much more fearful when I'm investing somebody else's money as opposed to mine. And so that puts another layer on it. So yeah, fear's not a bad thing. It's it's always present. And it's, uh, it's as you said, it's a great catalyst. And if you lean into it, uh, it can work for you. Uh, it can compound fear. We're never going to get rid of fear. We just manage it, overcome it, use it, use it as a tool. Yeah, it is. It's just interesting to observe that thought process within ourselves, but then also see how the macro is playing out from a, you know, sort of a market dynamic to say, well, you know, the mood of the market is one of fear or exuberance or perhaps, you know, somewhere irrational exuberance where, where we've seen over the past few years, perhaps in many regards, it's like I've been scratching my head. It's like, how are these deals getting done? Maybe there's not enough fear <laughs> in the marketplace. Right. And perhaps we get to the point where the pendulum swings and there's almost too much fear, which then creates those opportunities. But thinking about navigating these market cycles, I mean, how do you anticipate navigating this go around? And what sort of mindset do you try to embody when it comes to navigating a market cycle? So people always ask, well, what do I do? Do I sit back and wait until we hit the bottom, you know, or the, and which is it's like time in the stock market, you know, it's really hard and real estate moves slow. I always want to be in the market because again, as we talked about before, there is always a deal out there. It may take forever to find it, but there's always a deal and up markets, down markets. So one, we try to stay in, but we also try to step back. And we did this in our company recently. We, we had a pipeline of projects that we were going to do through the year. And as interest rates were rising, we stepped back and looked and, and tried to think, you know, what's worst case for each project. And those that had 
thinner margins or more chance for for greater upheaval, we you know we we got rid of them. You get a little more conservative. Yeah, you know, you try to widen your margins, uh, double down on your due diligence. I mean, you can you know you can do diligence stuff to to death, but eventually you gotta you gotta step up and take a swing. And I try to back off a little lower leverage, higher margin of success, less deals, more quality. Things like that. I had a chance the other day to bump my cash flow, and and, all, and I'm not a big net worth guy. But would have bumped net worth and all this stuff. I had a chance to do that versus park my money in something that I know is going to be safe and is also going to be fun for us to use. So I, you know, I I kind of chose that rather than the growth model. Somewhat security with continued growth. Talking out of both sides of my mouth. Yeah, it was a month ago. You and I were communicating via email, and you were talking about a few of the things that you've been doing. And just from a high level, you mentioned sort of reassessing that pipeline, trimming some of those opportunities. Uh, were those active opportunities that you had under control or were those considerations for acquisitions for new development? Talk a little bit more in detail about what that looked like. These were new developments and we have a sort of a hodgepodge. We'll, we'll often own the land. Uh, sometimes we'll join venture with somebody and rarely and occasionally our company will do will do an LP tranche with somebody. And so, uh, and they all, they all have their various reasons. And we looked at each one and there's various equity tranches. They can be very large sometimes, sometimes just a small one. And so we looked at the level of control we had on the projects, or if we didn't have control, the uh, quality of the joint venture partner. And we also timed it out as to when we had to have that equity. So we kind of, we have our whole year lined out and, you know, we had to, I think we had like a hundred million dollars we were supposed to deploy this year. And so we backed it off from a security standpoint, you know, from growth and security, because once we say yes, that's three years, you know, it's two years to build this stuff and three years to stabilize. So uh, we've really got to look far out. And we thought some of them were just probably good deals and good times, but with interest rates rising and other factors that we thought of, we thought maybe this is one we let go. So if it's land, we just hold the land or we flip it if somebody else uh, feels they can they can make their money now. Case by case, that's how we did it. And we held on to some. And then as you and I talked, now that we trimmed it, it seems to be ballooning again. In what way? What is it look? What is it ballooning with regard to right now? Well, you know, it, it, it's nothing that we planned. We're always doing our same thing, always out there looking for deals. And we have various methods we do that. And, uh, you know, the most recent was somebody had spent a year and a half doing a development, an apartment development uh, in a mixed use property. And it's just about shovel ready and it fell apart for them. And so they came to us because they knew that's what we did. We could close. We knew the people and we saved a year and a half of development cost and time and in you know 60 to 90 days can put a shovel in the ground and start a development on 300 units with a phase two with another 300 units so things like that and the deals keep coming and i think maybe they're coming because of some of that fear some of that interest rate fear we collectively believe that if you look at the fed graph typical time to start decreasing interest rates is you know roughly year and a half to two years if you look at the graph so we're hoping it falls somewhere within a standard deviation of that average. And, uh, you know, soon the rates will come down again, give some refi opportunities. So that was tangential. I apologize, but we think there's always opportunity. So that's what's happening. More stuff keeps coming. We've just been in it such a long time that, that, that they're coming to us and we get a chance to evaluate. You know, we're not even sure that that great deal I just told you about is going to go, you know, because they all grow warts once you start doing the diligence. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love tangents and that's what tangent, you know, this podcast is all about taking a tangent. So thank you for, for letting us follow that path in your mind 
mind because I think it's a beautiful one. But it also allows us to understand sort of the nimble nature of your firm because what you're talking about is, you know, one month ago, it's like stepping back and saying, all right, well, how do we evaluate this three-year time horizon for some of these potential development opportunities? Because yes, we need to understand where we are in the current quarter, you know, zoom in on the market today, but then we need to look up and say, well, where do we anticipate things moving forward? So I'm thinking about this standard deviation that you just talked about with the Federal Reserve sort of interest rate hikes and your projections moving forward. So I guess that would leave us at what, Q4 2023, perhaps, because I think they started rate hiking yeah. in what was it, Q2. So perhaps maybe a couple quarters beyond that, maybe a couple quarters uh, before that. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. And, you know, we're not counting on it, but we're hoping it would be really nice if that happened because then you end up, you know, you end up locking in or refinancing at lower rates and life is good again, which is kind of what we had over this last 10 years. It's really hard to refinance in a rising interest rate market. So, but our plan and, the you know, obviously the, the pro forma is, has worked out at, you know, current interest rates, whatever we can lock at. So we're not counting on that, but boy, that would be a nice benefit. So if we know the project's going to work at whatever the 6% or whatever we're locked in at, then it's a go. And anything beyond that's gravy. So uh, yeah, I think there's going to be opportunity and I think there's going to be recession, which is going to provide pain or opportunity for, you know, various parties. It almost seems like the component for your company is being nimble. It's being ready to take on those opportunities that come. Maybe there's some distressed opportunity. Maybe there's a fearful seller who's, you know, a development opportunity that's halfway done or three quarters of the way done and you can kind of take over and solve some of those problems. But it almost seems like it's that nimble nature in, in talking about sort of a month ago saying, well, wait a minute, we've got these deals, but we don't have to develop and we don't have to deploy that capital. Let's see how this plays out. Could you talk about some of the components that allow you to be nimble, to take advantage of those opportunities and to make sure that you're not taking inappropriate risk? Yeah, you know, we're, we're small. My partner hates when I use the word small or we're boutique, but yeah, we have a really shallow management structure. Yeah, it's my, my partner and I. And then, you know, we may have a third one shortly, but you know, we can make quick decisions. To, you know, once we get, you know, if we get deep into a deal, uh, you know, we're in it, you know, and if we made a mistake, we're in it and we go and do it. So decision-wise, it's fairly easy. And equity-wise, it's, you know, we've been at it, it's getting easier. We, we now have, we certainly have access to, to some large equity checks now. We have the equity to do these deals and at higher equity amounts. So lower leverage, which is a nice component when you're, when you think you're going into a recession, lower leverage gives you some breathing room if things go, go weird. And, you know, and it has been a good several years. Well, I'll tell you, a rising market makes you look like you're smart. And uh, we've had some really killer deals. And it's not because we're that smart. It's just because we got lucky. Elon Musk builds 20 miles from one of our, our places and Samsung builds next to another one and the market goes nuts. So uh, we got a pretty good war chest right now so we can hold things. Uh, we have very patient investors. And so, uh, you know, if we need to hold something, we've got the leeway to do that. And, you know, having made my mistakes in 2001 and 2008, again, like I said, I'm waiting to see what mistakes we make now, but we are trying to be conservative yet continue to move forward. You know what I actually love? And one of the things that I love about you is that you're a humble guy. Like you're just a humble guy. And I really do appreciate that. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to blow smoke, but I think that's a component that creates a successful long-term investor because you just mentioned one thing is like, hey, you know, we've been lucky in some capacities. Realizing that there, you know, sometimes we have, and I think Annie Duke talks about this. She's a professional poker player, World Series of Poker champion, former Elevate guest. She talks about this concept called resulting. And this happens 
happens to poker players. It happens to investors, entrepreneurs, people in life, wherever you are. Sometimes we look at the result and say, well, because of my great decisions, because of my prowess as an investor, because of my market selection, I created this 35% IRR. I created this 3X equity multiple, all these different things. What we fail to realize is that there are many components of luck and that just because the result was good doesn't mean that all of our decisions along the way were optimal and recognizing that there's so many components of luck involved in this game and saying, well, wait a minute, you know what? I still have room for improvement. I could have done this better. This could have led to a bad outcome, a bad result if I didn't have this luck. So what could I do better? And always looking for that room for improvement. Does that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. I saw a quote the other day. I hope I can say this. Basically, it said, never believe your own bullshit and never be the main character in the story. And and that's true because, you know, yeah, we're always, you and I are learning every day. Hopefully we learn something today. We're a little better for it tomorrow, whatever it is, you know, grow a little bit on the workout that we both did or learn a little bit about your business. So we're always growing because we're rotting and falling off the vine if we're not getting better. So yeah, there's always room for improvement. Uh, none of us know everything. You know, everybody you meet has got something to teach you, whether they're, you know, a bum on the street or, you know, or the leader of a country. So yeah, we're all, we're all learning. And I just been around so much. I just know I ain't that good. I've just, I've surrounded myself with good people. It's almost refine, strengthen and optimize. And even if you got a good result, there are still opportunities for you to refine, strengthen and optimize. And to your point, it's either we're either growing or dying. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk-adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax-optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcaploc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. So talk to me about, you know, one of the things that I'm so fond of is just thinking about developing those principles over time because, you know, the market dynamics are constantly changing. You know, yesterday was different than today. Of course, this year is different than last year. Next year will be different than this year, so on and so forth. But it's those principles and that timeless wisdom that remains. And you've built a $500 million portfolio with this type of philosophy and and these key principles. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of those key components that have allowed you to be successful enduring over time? Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of besides the underlying always be learning, always try to be better the next day. I ended up kind of looking back at stuff and, you know, and, and to grow your financial world, which in turn buys your time, gets your freedom, lets you do what you want. We all have, have a why, why we want to do this. It, it kind of ended up breaking into about five things. To grow your life, you need you need the right people, you need deals, you need money, structure, and rules. And so those are, I ended up kind of coalescing that, realizing that, I, that you, you look at all that stuff, I end up looking at kind of every deal sort of through that filter. You know, am I doing it with the right people? You know, where am I going to get the money? Where's it going to come from? Am I going to make money? Is it the kind of deal that I understand and can be, you know, in the in the leadership role? Or is it something I don't understand, but I really like the guy? You know, if Tyler, if you called me up and said, I got this bizarre thing that is just going to be awesome, I might just invest with the person because we do that, right? We invest with people or in stuff that we understand. And then structure is important in 
a number of ways who's going to do what, who's going to deal with the investors, asset management, get the money, get the debt, that sort of thing. And also on the other end structure, you know, how are we going to protect ourselves because it's a litigious kind of world, et cetera, et cetera. We want to make sure we have the proper structure so that if things go wrong, which they do, that you don't you don't have a single point of failure. You know, you're not losing everything and putting your family on the street for making a goofy decision. And then it's sort of rules and lessons. You know, there's rules. Everything we do has has its rules. I believe I'm not a giant stock market fan, but a lot of people have made money in the stock market. And if you have too much money, you got to have a place to put it. I think, I think it's a great place for a lot of people. But I'm pretty confident that the rules are more in favor of the folks on Wall Street than it does for you and I if we're buying a retail stock. Rules in the real estate world, they matter. You know, uh, tenant rules, tenant law in Texas is nice as strong for the landlords. Texas, Florida, good, strong landlord law. Not so strong in the state of California. So something you need to think of. But on the flip side, less taxes, lower taxes in California than there are in Texas. So point being, you got to know the rules of the game that you're in, because if you don't know the rules, you know, you might not win. Then you'll get to the other half of rules, which is you'll learn some lessons. So I try to filter through all those and see if I'm with good people, et cetera, things work out. And I start with my due diligence. So that has become a, a unconscious filter that's really become a, a conscious sort of five-part uh, evaluation tool for me. I love that, man. I just want to encourage the listener to re-listen to that entire section because that is just absolute decades into days wisdom that you just compressed for us and you just shared that with us. That's the beauty of this type of conversation is your gift to us. So I want to dive into some of these components and you're, you're actually parsing this out, by the way, and I'll, I'll give you a big shout out because you're not only giving this away here, but you've put together a mastermind called Rich Life. And I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, I mean, I know that some of these components and these principles that have allowed you to be so successful, your partners to be so successful, you're now giving and you're allowing others to kind of step into themselves. And these are the success categories that you've integrated within the Rich Life system as well. So let's start with the finding those right people. And you've actually even kind of gone a step further. And you mentioned this on some of your materials is that finding the right people with the right mindset and habits. That's the critical component. So could you expand upon that a bit? We all connect with certain types of people, right? And, you know, just at, at a high level, you want to work with somebody with with ethics and discipline and patience, et cetera. You want somebody to turn your back on and know that the deal's still going to go through, that your checkbook is safe, that sort of thing. And, you know, golly, money does some weird stuff. Uh, what is it? Will Smith said, money doesn't change us. It just amplifies who we really are. And, you know, the drill, you've seen you've seen givers just become bigger givers and you see takers become bigger takers. And so oh, you can't get it right all the time. And I actually have some stuff that I, that I hand out to folks showing where I, you know, we thought we did the right, we thought we had the right people, but uh, their stripes changed when the when the deal was was in progress, and you know once that happens, you have to just navigate and work through and keep your ethics, but work for your investors or work for yourself, whatever it is, to, to try to get you know get that deal over the goal line. Or in our case, we sold some stuff just to uh, kind of remove ourselves from from those people. But the flip side is you find good people. And oh, it's just a joy. You know, if you call this work, it's just fun. You're with a, a competent friend uh, and everybody's making money and you're making money for your investors. So it's a, it's a joy to work with good people. Yeah, I love that. I've experienced that myself. I mean, I've had partners that are you know more takers. I've also had partners that are much more givers. And I'll say that that's been much more uh, of the experience that I've had to a larger degree is, the, is the, the givers and the folks that are willing to you know do the right thing, have integrity behind closed doors and so forth. And, and to your point, that is a joy, but we're going to run into those, those takers. And to your point, it's remain 
you know, sort of honest yourself and remain true to your core principles and morals and so forth. And is there anything else that you would add to that? Tell you, we've had them and sometimes, and, and you never want to use the revenge thing. Revenge is just an empty box, but you want to move forward. And moving forward sometimes has required us to swallow our pride and just move on. Let them win whatever they took, whatever it would be, you know, reputation or money or whatever. Just moving on. It's the it's the bigger fish to fry thing. You know, we've got, got bigger things to do and they are time bandits. And, you know, what we've run into, it might be a single person. It might be a city entity. And um, we've had both of those. You know, sometimes they'll take a year or two of your time. And that's that's very valuable. Just move on. Try to move on to the better thing. There's just, you know, there's no way to make them, quote, pay for what they did. You just want to get away from them, move on. Yeah, they're also energy bandits. And as far as I'm concerned, energy is critical for the long-term success in this business. And, you know, keeping and maintaining and protecting your energy is a core component of what you just described. The other thing, you know, just kind of dovetailing from that, it's finding and creating deals with perfect partners. Could you expand upon what a perfect partner would be? And maybe that's different for everybody, but is how would you expand upon that? You know, and I've got some of those and I attribute a lot of my success to the some of the partners I've had. Again, just to start somebody you know you can turn your back on, you can leave your family and your checkbook with them and life will be good. But also somebody that's not afraid to come up and say, Tom, I don't agree with what you're doing. And you sit and you talk, you talk it out. And, uh, you know, I can tell you one, my 20 plus year partner, you know, you don't always agree. None of you, Tyler, you and I would never agree on everything going forward for the next 10 years. But you sit down, you listen, somebody gives. And I can tell you a perfect partner is one that I've got. One of us gives every time and it's never lopsided. It just, you know, you respect each other's opinions and you move on. Uh, never grudge. It's all about business and perfect partner that you can count on, you can trust and becomes a friend. Yeah. You know, and, they, and is competent is just wonderful. I feel like you're along for a ride, but you know, you of course have got to got to do your thing. You got to be that partner as well. Yeah, and there's there's parallels in everything. And I was listening to a podcast recently on marriage. My wife and I were going on our anniversary trip, and we were listening to it in the car. And he talked about. He said, if your marriage you have no fights, that is probably a red flag. And if there's no disagreement, there's probably a red flag. And it almost makes me think of what you just shared. If your partner is disagreeing with you and sharing with you, hey, here's why you're wrong, perhaps in the long run, that's a very healthy type of conversation. 100%. That's, you know, that signals respect and love if it's a marriage. So absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Man, this is so big. And this is one that I've realized over the past few years. And, and it sounds like you have done this and I've done this where when I got started as a real estate investor, I was putting my own money into the deals. And then I got to a point where I started inviting other people's money into the deals. And, and you've done the same, obviously, for many years yourself. And this one, you know, one of the success categories of the rich life system is attracting the right money from the right people with the right people. Talk about yeah. that. What does that mean? What's the right money and the right people mean? And there's probably a couple answers for the right money, but it's, so yeah, we all start, everybody has a first day, right? Uh, and so we start as you and I did. We find some stuff and buy it. And then we run out of money or decide to go bigger and we start getting investors. So, you know, I get asked a lot, how do I start? And, you know, Bill Gates says we we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do in a year. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And they want to get started right away with how do I grow a big group to raise money? 
And I think it's sort of a patience and compounding thing that you just, you do what you do. You tailor your your money raises to the size of your network, but you let your network know, you know, you let them know what you're doing. You know, what do you do? I raise money for real estate deals or I raise money for whatever. Oh, that's cool. Thanks. You know, some people will ask about it. It grows. As you get more experience, it gets, you get more people, you know, it, it just grows upon itself and it compounds. As you have a, have a success, you get more people. That's sort of the how portion. And as, as you asked, you know, the right money, right money is, well, the perfect money for uh, for somebody that's raising money is somebody that gives you a check and never asks another question until you send them their money, you know. They're perfect. But our job is to answer questions. All raising money is, is telling a story, is education and telling a story you believe in. It's all it is. And so you want questions and you should have the answers because when somebody calls and says, what's X, Y, or Z, you know, you should know the project. So sometimes that money will push you. Some good money will push you. Those, you know, Tom, what's the unlevered IRR? Or what's, you know, why are you doing X? Why are you raising rents by X amount? That kind of money makes you think. And that's only makes you better. It makes you a better sponsor, a better investor. So again, we can only see the blinders are on. We can only see so much of what we do. You will ask me a question I wouldn't have thought of. You just broadened my experience. You just opened up the blinders a little bit. So the next deal I do, I'm going to know to think about that question that you asked. So you get enough of those questions from your investors. It just makes you better for yourself and makes you better for the next group of investors. That is so good. And I, and I do think it almost makes you start to anticipate those questions as well. As more that you get these questions, you do start to appreciate them because it helps you refine your business plan. It helps you hedge your bets. It helps you plan for risk mitigation, all of these things. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's a great question. Let's implement that strategy into our business plan or let me, you know, help clarify that question. And when I think about that, going back to just kind of raising capital, and I'd love to hear your experience. When we started, it was like, hey, <laughs> if you want to invest in our deal, whoever you are, if you got the money, if it's green, if it spins, let's do it because we, <laughs> we, we got to buy this deal and we believe in the deal and all this stuff and we have integrity and we truly um, you know, we put our own skin in the game and all that kind of stuff, but we think about it and it's like, well, that's where we started. But then over time, it's like you have more demand perhaps than you have supply of opportunities for investment. And then it comes down to, well, what is the right money? And I think it is to your point, it's those people who have respect for you, but also push you, you know, you almost come to find that, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, these good questions are valuable for all of us. It helps us win to a larger degree and it actually makes you better. I, I really think that it put, like you said, good money, push it, good money, good Mooney, good money pushes you and it makes you better. It's just interesting how that dynamic grows and expands over time. Ah, uh, it just it really does. It just it just improves you. I mean, we have we have people that'll we can whisper that we have a deal coming up and people will put in a commitment. But then on the other hand, some of those people that might have invested with us for 15 years, they may come up with a great question. Hey, I've never I've not seen this from y'all before. Did you think of XYZ? It's like, oh wow, good question. Because those are pretty sophisticated investors. You know, these passive investors, some of them are very, very sophisticated. You can get some that have that are kind of early in their game and sort of overly. They have a lot of questions and you try to answer, you know, if you do it enough, a lot of times you can answer those questions in the PPM, but uh, there are those. And then there's some, it's an 80-20 rule, right? Maybe 95-5, but there's always a certain group of people and it's typically your, your smaller investors that have the most questions and sometimes can cause you more trouble. 
but that's just a rule. It's just part of the game. It is so true. In fact, we've got one example right now, literally our smallest investor, and we appreciate all of our investors. You know, the one who has the most, you know, requests and, and challenges and those kind of things. And it is what it is. It's just interesting to observe and to look at. But to your point, you know, raising capital is not a sale. It's offering an opportunity and it's educating an investor on an opportunity. One thing that I've learned is that if there are particular questions that it feels like an investor is very concerned about certain things that we feel like are less significant for a particular investment, there may be a point in time where we say, you know what, just based on our conversations, it seems like this may not be the best opportunity for us to to partner up. And I always find that that's kind of a relieving conversation to have. And sometimes an investor will say, well, maybe you're right. Or they may say, well, you know, actually, no, I think that I, I think that I would love to participate here. But I think it is kind of, you know, reading into the situation to say, hey, is this a right deal for you, for your goals, for your understanding, for your sophistication level, but also saying, look, there's no no pressure for you to participate here. You don't have to have your dollar. We'd love for you to participate if it makes sense. But to me that it's like separating this like need and like we must close the deal with you is such a big game changer. That's a beautiful explanation of the proper sponsor. You know, your job is to make money for your investors and by extension, educate them. So uh, often when you say, you know, this might not be the right one for you, you sometimes get an investor for life. And that's how you really grow. You do a nice little deal today. And then 10 years from now, you're doing bigger deals, but you've added lots of investors that now trust you that will just say, yeah, Tyler, whatever you do, you know, I'll give you some money. So, and that's a good feeling. Always still a heady feeling, but uh, it's our job is just, our job is to educate and make money for our investors. And by extension, we prosper from that. So it's, you know, there's some responsibility there, but it's a fun game. It's re- it's really fun because it gives you a chance to meet new people, which is one of my favorite things. Me too. And in fact, we met, I met an investor actually from having you on the podcast uh, last time when you were on the podcast and another individual in your city in Austin. And, and she's an amazing individual and uh, big shout out to her. She knows exactly who she is. So she knows who I'm thinking about. And I just think it's great. You meet these amazing people through this process. And to your point, it's when you continue to stack on it to compound interest over time, you grow more deeper relationships. Relationships. And man, these are some of the most amazing people in the world. And I just love that so much. Yeah. So Tom, thank you so much for talking about your principles and going into depth on some of those. Talk a little bit more about this Rich Life Mastermind, because it's something that you've launched recently. And I know you've got some exciting things happening there. So tell us a little bit about the mastermind. Yeah, you know, um, I think for, for a good 10 years, I think I was just Mr. Complacent. You know, I was doing the real estate, life was good. And, you know, Kiyosaki suggests I write a book. So I wrote a book and uh, that kind of started changing things. As I did research for that, I found there were a lot of people out there that had questions. I've been teaching for 30 years, whether it's finance or medicine. You know, I was a doctor and I like to teach. And so it ended up so many people were asking for, you know, hey, can you, you know, kind of kind of fill me on on how you did what you did that I finally put together a tester first. I put together a mastermind and it has now grown to something we just love. And so it's it's really centered around people, deals, and adventure. I like travel and adventure. And so what we do, we're, you know, we've got our uh, second summit coming up and, you know, I've got them throwing axes and riding horses and, you know, and shooting shotguns. So, uh, uh, you know, kind of Texas stuff. So yes, there'll be a little competition there. But the day before, we're all going to gather and it's, I bring in experts to talk to them. You know, I've got a lot of friends, you know, and you know, I'm in a lot of groups. I'm in the Tiger 21 and R360 and things like that. And so I filter a lot of deals to the group. And that was their main request was, look, we want deal flow. And it's not just real estate. And so, you know, my job is to, to kind of get out in the world, 
properly vet deals. Typically, it's it's ones that I've either invested in or known the person for a long time. And so I'm bringing them deal flow and then we educate. We've got some folks that are just starting their real estate journey. We've got some folks that have exited their companies, but they're great company operators, but now they're sitting on $50 million and they're supposed to be a good investor. That doesn't come overnight. And so uh, it's just been a blast and I love hanging around folks. And so it's it's really fun. And I'm not the, it's not a guru thing. It's a, we all learn from each other and I try to teach what I can and bring in smart people like you to talk when I want to talk, when somebody wants to learn about something I don't know about. Absolutely. So what's your favorite part of that? I mean, you know, you got the adventure, you got the deals, you got the people. I mean, what is it that you feel like fills up your cup the most? And what do you think is the most exciting part of that for folks who are coming in? I mean, maybe it's different for everyone, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Personally, for Tom Burns, it's the people. I, I, I love it, you know, and because they'll call, hey, I got this deal. You know, what do you think? And we talk, we go through it and I help. And some people, you know, sometimes we kill the deal, sometimes it goes. I've had some folks that came in. I had one was just a scared, scared little rabbit. And, and I don't mean that in a denigrating way, just really terrified. And by the time she had kind of been through the program, she's now bought three properties. She went on some trip to Cairo with a group she didn't know. She said it just opened up her mind that people People really could be fun and friendly and you could make money while having good friends, meeting a lot of people, because that's what it's all about, right? We, we could make a bunch of money and be and stuck in a cave and life is just not worth it. So it's all about getting out, seeing the world. That's what I, I learned from them. And, you know, we're going to travel the world and have our meetings in some, you know, kind of pretty bizarre places. That's our plan. And so... I just love the people and we're just about to launch. We kind of haven't let the world know that it exists, but we're about to let the world know. And I think we're going to have a great group of people and have a lot of fun. That's what it's all about. I think it's, you know, the cool thing about this business is we can have fun and meet great people and build great relationships and scratch that almost primal itch that we all have. It's to be in a community and to be in a tribe, but it's also, Hey, at the same time, we can make great money and we can create abundance in our own financial life and, and beyond and have that adventure as well. I mean, that, that really resonates with me. So if the listeners want to learn more about Rich Life, they just go to rich.life. Is that correct? Or where else would you point them? Yeah, they can go to go to rich.life or go to rich.life forward slash toolkit. And there's some free stuff they can use. Some of the stuff that we talked about today, some of the deals we've done, I go through some of that people deals, money structure rules. And, you know, they're not all successes. I go through some of the boneheaded stuff I did back in the past because that's how you learn lessons. So uh, it's all free and they're welcome to go to that. And, and I hope it's useful for your listeners. Absolutely. And again, beyond rich.life, if the folks want to learn more about you and your company, Presario Ventures, they just go to presarioventures.com. Is that correct as well? So Tom, before we wrap today, tell me a little bit about this uh, return from a 30-year hiatus. You were not playing tennis for 30 years, but now you're back. You talked about being complacent perhaps for 10 years and maybe in the professional life. And then Robert Kiyosaki said, hey, you need to write a book and that kind of scratch and itch. It opened up a whole new world. But tell me about this and you know the, the endeavor now for tennis and coming back after 30 years. I was pretty good back in the day, but I always tell people there's levels of good. You know, I Certainly would have got my college paid for, but, uh, you know, I, you weren't going to see me on TV. And so played a bit of tennis, you know, got married, went to medical school and did all that and came back and played just a little bit of tennis when I got back to Austin because everybody said, hey, you're back. Will you play with us? Well, I had young kids. And, you know, you think golf takes a long time. It's still four hours to go play a tennis match because you get ready, you drive and that sort of thing. You got to have a beer after you play, right? And so I ended up stopping that because, you know, family was number one prime, right? So I wanted to be with the family. 
So it just kind of faded away. And I maybe did a little bit, you know, for the next 10 years. I'd, I'd once in a while, somebody would ask to play. And then, but I hadn't touched a racket in like 20 years. So I go on this trip. I'm on an island. Yeah, I'm, this was last year. My bag doesn't show up. I don't have any clothes. So I'm borrowing clothes from the people on the island. I've got this, you know, muscle shirt on, running shorts and flip-flops. I'm walking the island with this guy and I hear the sound of tennis balls. We go over there and, and we go and our host was Richard Branson and it's his house, right? And so they're playing doubles and they're playing a little bit and the pro goes, hey, do you play tennis? I said, oh, I did, but it's been a long time. And plus, I don't, you know, I don't have any gear. And she goes, we got shoes, socks and rackets. You don't have an excuse. So I go bang around with her and she was good. She had played at Wimbledon and had like a, you know, top hundred ranking. And we start playing. She says, hey, you know, it's obvious you played. And so, and then Richard comes by and sees me play and he goes, look, will you play with me? I said, I don't know. You know, it depends. So I ended up having to play with Richard twice a day because that's, that's his routine. And it got me back. It was really fun. And what was most fun was that I played a certain way 30 years ago. Now the game's changed. So new challenges for me to change my grip. So we're talking right a 45 year old grip and so i'm not very good right now i bought some rackets off of ebay now i finally bought a new i found a racket i like so just in the last four or five months i have changed my grip took lessons and turns out the guy I took lessons from is the guy that when I was a kid, he beat me for the adult city championship when I was a kid. And so, you know, it all comes back. It's, it's actually very interesting. Um, getting better, but not good yet because it's a new swing. And, uh, he's actually enjoying teaching me because he goes, man, you're excited about tennis. Most guys your age are burned out. So it's a blast. I'm having fun. I'm losing here and there, uh, actually losing more than winning, but getting better each time. Compound effect, Darren Hardy would be happy, would be proud of me, but uh, it is so much fun. And I'm getting kind of obsessive about it. So, uh, you know, next time we talk, we'll see if, if my wife is still happy with me. It's fun. See, this is why I love having conversations with you because I never know what epic story you're going to bring me. Like you're, you're playing, oh, well, yeah, then I stumbled upon Richard Branson and this top 100 player who played in Wimbledon. And, you know, then we got back into it. It's like, what a, what a story. But what are the top one, two or three lessons that you've learned since you've gotten back into the sport? It takes longer than you think. I gave myself a year, but you know, my, my brain's still thinking I should be better than this. So patience is really hard to uh, use, but I'm having to use it. It is refreshing and invigorating to have something that you're a little bit obsessive about. You know, I love what we do in real estate. Uh, it's great, but it's not the real estate I love so much. And I like what the money does for me. It buys me my time, gives me a chance to go out at nine o'clock in the morning and play tennis because I don't have a job. And it is really, really fun to have a quest. I know I should be beating these folks, but I've got to be disciplined to get the game back. And I'm having fun losing. I know that sounds goofy, but I'm not having a lot of fun. I'm, I'm now I'm getting to where, but it is a part of the process. That's the thing we got to realize. We got to go through the process. Your investors are going to lose money sometime. Uh, I have lost money. I'm going to lose tennis matches. Just keep pressing forward. Keep your knees high. Keep moving forward. Each time you grow each day. And I can see it happening in my tennis. And it's a real big parallel to the investing world. Man, I enjoy the process of having a conversation with the great Tom Burns every time because I learn so much. I have so much fun. And I just know that I, if I trust this process, it's all going to play out just the way that we just described it there. So Tom Burns, man, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Part two, I hope we have an opportunity to do part three and so on and so forth. But Tom, again, is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you or learn more about what you do? No, I think we've got it with uh, Rich, Rich.Life and Persario. So I'd uh, love to talk to any of you. There's emails there. Give me a holler if you need me. Outstanding. Well, Tom, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom before we wrap today? 
No, just uh, just keep it. You know, I, I love your podcast. I'd encourage your listeners to keep listening. To you, I, I love the combination of mindset and uh, mindset and money because uh, the two have to go together. Outstanding, Tom. Until next time, my friend. Thanks so much for the kind words, and we'll see you next time. All right, buddy. Thanks. Elevate Nation, Tom Burns bringing the heat, bringing the joy, bringing the wisdom, bringing the timeless principles for us today. I just want to thank Tom Burns again. I mean, one of the greatest people in this business, in this world, and just somebody that is so true, so honest, so forthright, and so abundant. Uh, So I just want you to recognize how much value that you just received. I want to invite you to jot down what are your top one, two, or three key takeaways or distinctions from this episode. Again, knowledge is not power, but it is potential power. It is the potential to take action on that power. So what is it that you learned today that you want to take action on? Make a commitment to taking action on that knowledge and on those insights. Also want to invite you to re-listen to this episode because when we listen twice or three times, we learn two or three times as much or even more. By the way, sometimes it can be exponential. And as we typically say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. What teacher appeared for you today? What student within you is ready? And by the way, we all have multiple interior students within us. And I just think that today's episode was so valuable from so many different aspects when it comes down to now navigating the market cycle when it comes down to making effective decisions with regard to growing your investment portfolio or being nimble in the current environment or over the next few years as we navigate perhaps the next market cycle, thinking about timeless wisdom and principles. Maybe there's some that you could steal shamelessly and improve upon for yourself and for your business, or maybe there's other ideas that you got from this episode in terms of creating, designing, optimizing your own principles. I want to encourage you to have a discussion with someone else. Of course, share this episode with a friend, but have a discussion on some of the things that you learned. Here's what I took away. Here's what I learned. Here's why I think that this is important. Here's something that was not said. And here's why I think it should have been a part of that conversation. By the way, guess what? This can be fodder for your own expansion, your own mindset, your own mind expansion, your own personal development to become an even higher performing real estate investor. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating review, share this with a friend. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.